So we've dealt with what happened to all of those who lived in the Old Testament and pre-Old Testament times, both the believers and the unbelievers. So all of the believers from the Old Testament now with Christ have gone to heaven and are with the Father before, by the way, anyone from the church, right? This is quite amazing. The ascension occurs and then at Pentecost you establish the church. But this is the Old Testament believers, first ones to get to go uh, to heaven uh, because they've responded to Jesus. Um, and those who did not believe would refuse to believe, lived in, continued to live in rebellion despite Jesus' message to them. They stayed uh, in Hades awaiting their judgment, which has not uh, happened yet. Way more on that in a couple of weeks. So let's look at the church age. What happens to the spirits of people who die now? Um, and we'll start, let's start with the, the believers. You're in Ephesians, so turn back a couple of books to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to look at what happens to believers during the church age. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Here we go. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing what, that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So you're going to notice this. We are... We're held captive, if you will, in this earthen mortal body. And so we're absent from the Lord in heaven, right? That, that hasn't happened to us yet. Um, so really interesting metaphors that he gives here, right? That, that um, uh, uh, let me make sure I'm, uh, make, let me make sure I stay in the right verse. Okay, so um, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, verse 7, 4, we walk by faith, not by sight, verse 8. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So, so let me put that into plain English. This is a fascinating way that Paul describes this passage, right? The, the language essentially says, I want my body to go ahead and die because I prefer to be really alive in, in Christ, with Christ, in heaven. It's a remarkable concept. Talk about blowing away Paul's fear of death. He's saying, man, get rid of this baby. Let me, let me breathe my last so I can be completely with Jesus, unencumbered by this decaying mortal body, right? So right now we live in this fallen body in a fallen world. So while we walk by faith with Christ and his spirit indwells us, we still can't yet be in paradise, right? That requires us to die at this point. We'll see that completely changes uh, at the time of the rapture. Um, so here we're still anchored in this world, but as soon as we stop breathing, our spirit goes to be with Christ. So what happened in the church age? Here's your blanks. When a believer dies, their spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. Right, And we'll deal more with what happens to the body uh, in a few minutes. Um, and so where is the Lord? Right? So when we die now, the believer goes immediately to be with the Lord. So turn with me to Hebrews, turn to the right, uh, past the T's, all the five T's, and then you'll uh, get over to, to uh, uh, Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we ask the question, we see the answer to the question, where is the Lord now? If we're to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord, where's the Lord? Verse 10 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, by this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all, and now it compares to the other priests, right, who had to keep sacrificing. And every priest, verse 11, stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, 
having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That, of course, coming straight out of the Psalms, uh, an incredible quote from there. So where is the Lord now? Here's your blanks. In heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. So just as happened in the Old Testament age, this is important. The physical body go of, of believers goes into the grave, right? Goes into deterioration, may, may be uh, uh, cremated, right? That's the physical body, but that goes in a hole in the ground, but the spirit doesn't. The spirit immediately goes to be at the right, uh, with Jesus at the right hand uh, of the Father. So what happens in the church age to unbelievers? So you're at the Hebrews, almost at the end of the Bible. Turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Uh, and here we'll start unpacking what happens during the church age to people who refuse the grace of Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Great words, right? Here's, here's John saying, I was in the spirit of the Lord on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. So this is a letter to the churches for the church age, right? To Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Tyra and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Verse 12, and I returned to see the voice that was speaking with me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, he sees Jesus. Look at this. Was one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle, and it goes on to describe the amazing, this amazing uh, exalted Christ that he sees. And now look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. What an amazing statement. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And here's a key phrase. Look at this. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. All right, really, really key passage. Revelation, when was it written? By John, during the church age about 60 years after Jesus' resurrection, um, and, uh, and uh, from the island of Patmos, right, where he was uh, exiled. And uh, this, look at this. During the church age, he's describing what's happening. So here's fact number one, what we learn. During the church age, Hades still exists. Notice the tense. I hold, I have the keys of death and of Hades. So Hades still exists. Fact number two. During the church age, the spirits of people who die in rebellion against God descend into Hades. So during the church age, unbelievers still go into Sheol, the spirits of unbelievers. The spirits of believers go immediately to be uh, with Christ. Dramatic contrast, right? Uh, and this is where they're kept for the final judgment that will happen at the end of the millennium, which we'll, we'll cover in a few weeks. Fact number three, this, meaning Hades, is not the same as hell, right? Gehenna, the lake of fire, the final uh, judgment, right? This is different. This is a, in the depths of the earth, the holding tank for those who have not yet received their final judgment. Before that, Gehenna, hell, the lake of fire does not occur. So uh, let me say this again. Um, this is not the same as hell, uh, which is the place of eternal separation from God after the final judgment. And again, we'll deal with that later in detail. So think about this. 
Um, the, what happens to the spirits in the body in the Old Testament? The body went into a grave and started deterioration, but the spirits of both unbelievers and believers descended into Sheol. There was an Abraham's bosom side for the believers, and there was the torments side for those who refused to believe. In the New Testament era, what happens is those who are in Christ, immediately their spirits go to be with Christ in heaven. Their bodies go into the grave, uh, awaiting the resurrection. More on that later. Um, and unbelievers still descend into Sheol, torments, or in the Greek, Hades, and await the final judgment. Um, and so uh, let me just do a quick run of that um, on our grid. You should have, uh, hopefully by now, if you've been watching for any number of weeks, uh, but again, the URL is there. Um, and uh, so notice what's happened here in the spirit realm. Before the Old Testament, this is the cross. So in the, excuse me, in the Old Testament, notice you go to, the believers go to Sheol, Abraham's bosom, right? Where they're, the good part of Sheol. The unbelievers go to torments. At the crucifixion, Jesus descends, preaches the gospel, and notice those who believe from the Old Testament go up into paradise, and during the church age, they're with those who are now joining them when they, in the church, die in faith and immediately go. So you have this incredible host. This is the cloud of witnesses for us, right? Those who were in the Old Testament who died and those in the New Testament who died believing in Jesus are the great cloud of witnesses around us. That's paradise. But for those who don't believe either before the cross or after the cross, they are staying in Hades waiting for the final judgment. Okay, so then let's go on to the rapture of the church. And a couple of things, that, let me just make, make sure that I say, as we begin this section, as always, I'm not advocating a specific rapture view, uh, but you have to choose one, right? When you're dealing with the resurrections and death and the judgments and where do people go and when do they go and so forth, you have to pick one. And since the most complex one that answers the most question is to use the pre-trib rapture, that's the one. So again, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying you got to pick one. So we'll pick that one and it answers the most difficult questions. So let me just make sure everybody's tracking here. This is the Old Testament age. This is the cross. This is the church age. And this is the peace treaty, the abomination of desolation, and the second coming. So this is the seven-year tribulation. And the pre-trib rapture has the church being taken out, caught up with Christ, before the peace treaty, before the starting of the tribulation, therefore the pre-trib rapture, okay? Um, so turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, so back to the five T's. Um, once you find the, uh, if you get back to the, to the uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, turn to the right. Uh, if you're at Hebrews, turn left. Uh, and you'll find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and this is a, a, just an amazing passage about when Jesus catches away his church, his bride, his saints. Look at verse 13 in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the last paragraph. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, right? So that's all the Old Testament saints and all the New Testament saints who at this moment have gone to be with Jesus. So that's the host and the angels probably that are coming with him, right? Verse 15, for we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
What a picture, right? So watch what will happen. For the Lord, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So think about it. There are two groups of believers that live during the church age, right? Um, the church age ends when Jesus comes for the church, whenever that is, but right now we're using the pre-trib uh, grid, okay? And so here's group one. Group one, number one, the dead in Christ. And here's what the passage shows. Number one, the spirits have already gone to be with the Lord. Notice verse 14 with me. Chapter 4, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So their bodies went into the grave, but their spirits have gone immediately to be with the Lord. Like Paul said, if I, when I get out of this body, I'm immediately with the Lord, my spirit. Now the spirits of all of those come, and amazingly enough, this body, God puts back together in an amazing resurrection body. So notice there's number two. Their dead earthly bodies will be resurrected and changed into eternal, imperishable bodies. More on that in a minute. And then number three, here's your blank. Their resurrected body will rise to join their spirits that have been in heaven with Christ in the air. So now their spirit and their resurrected body now have a true body just like Jesus. A perfect, eternal, resurrection body. So that's group one, the dead in Christ. And group two, here's your blank, group, group two are believers who are living at the time of the rapture. So this is the last generation of the church. Those who believe in Jesus, Jesus comes for his, for, for his church and they're alive. And look uh, at, with me at verse 17 again. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So what do we learn here? This is amazing. You know what? Before we do that, let's go to second, uh, 1 Corinthians. So you're in the Thessalonians. Turn to the left till you bump into 2 Corinthians and then 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This incredible chapter about the resurrection, about the power of the resurrection. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you haven't studied it for a while, just I'd use tonight as a reason to go back and study this amazing chapter. Um, so look at verse 42 most of the way through the, through the chapter, verse 42 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So that's the content of this amazing uh, passage here, right? So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, right? Our, this, this mortal body that stops breathing and goes into the grave. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. This is linked exactly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we just heard. What happens to our spirit when I die? I go immediately to be with Jesus, but my body goes in the grave. That perishable body. And now, here comes Jesus with the spirits of all the saints from all the ages, and these resurrection bodies now make them into a true, perfect human like Adam and Eve and like, uh, like Jesus. All right? So, uh, verse 43 it is sown in dishonor, that's the old body, right? It is raised in glory, that's the resurrection body. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. 
It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now look at verse 49 with me, right? Verse 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly in our resurrection body. Verse 50, this next paragraph. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It's saying this fallen mortal body can't stand before God because it's a fallen body. Okay? Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In in other words, not everyone in the church will die. There'll be a generation that's alive when Jesus comes, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we, meaning those who are alive at Jesus' return for his church, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. So, amazing. What do we learn? Number one. Believers who are living when Christ comes for his church will be instantaneously changed. Isn't that amazing? Not going through death. Alive, instantaneously, our spirits and our bodies become the resurrected, perfect human that Jesus has paid the price for us to be just like him. Number two, at that moment, their living, earthly, decaying bodies will be changed into eternal, perfect bodies. In the twinkling of an eye, we won't all sleep, we won't all die, but we will all be changed. Either our dead old bodies will be changed to a resurrection body, or my living body, while alive at the moment that he comes, will be changed from a mortal body to an eternal perfect body. And number three, this change will occur without going through physical death. That's amazing. Think of verse. Think of that. Verse 51 again. Look at this. Behold... I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, um, when you, um, uh, you may or may not be aware, but in in, uh, theology, the term biblical mystery doesn't mean what most of us think of mystery, right? This is not Agatha Christie. The technical term mystery in the scripture means something that is completely brand new revealed in the New Testament that there's not a hint of in the Old Testament. And depending upon who you you read, there's either 12 or 13 significant theological fresh new. That's that's what's amazing is so much of the New Testament is an affirmation of the Old Testament. Of course it is. It's it's one word. The word is one. The word's a unity. Um, But notice, for instance, resurrection was not a mystery. The Old Testament believers, as we talked the last two weeks, Mary and Martha, Mar- Martha said, oh, of course Laz- I'm going to see Lazarus in the resurrection on the last day. But this is a mystery. The idea that a human could be transformed from a living mortal body into a resurrected body without going through death, there's not a hint of that in the Old Testament. So it's a true mystery in the biblical sense. Number two, Fact number two, during the church age, the spirits of people who die in rebellion against God descend into Hades, okay? Um, So, uh, you know what? need to turn the page. (laughs) That's way back. All right, we already went there. All right, so unbelievers at the time of the rapture, 
Unbelievers now, we dealt with the believers at the time of the rapture. You're dead. If you're dead, your spirit comes with Christ and your resurrection body is joined with your spirit. And if you're alive, your mortal body is changed into a resurrection body while you're still alive. But what about unbelievers at the time of the rapture? Here's your blank. If the pre-trib view is correct, and that's modifier because we had to pick one, if the pre-trib view is correct, those who reject God's truth and refuse to be saved are left behind on earth when Christ takes his church and they enter into the tribulation, right? So this is what happens to the, the unbelieving uh, who live and are alive at the time Jesus comes for the church. Well, they continue living, all right? This is not the uh, Armageddon, and this is certainly not the uh, end of time the, the, uh, at the end of the millennium, the uh, melting of the fervent heat and the new heaven and the new earth, right? So these living people who have not been caught up with Christ because they don't believe, they populate the tribulation if the pre-trib rapture is, is true. So turn with me now to Matthew chapter 24, uh, where, we have, where we've, of course, anchored uh, much of this series because this is the Olivet Discourse which is Jesus himself preaching two chapters about his own return when asked at the beginning uh, what, what, will be, uh, what, will, what will the end look like and what will, the, what will be uh, happening at the end of the age. Um, so look with me at verse 36 of Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day, Jesus talking about his second coming. But of that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For, listen, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, and they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Continuing, verse 39. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 40, and this is amazing. Look at this. There shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. So anybody who says the concept of, of, um, of a point at which somebody's just gone, is caught up, is, is taken, the idea that that's been made up by fringe theologians through the centuries is completely bogus. Here's Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus preaching about what's going to happen. Then there shall be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Verse 41, two women shall be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. So let me point something out. There's been lots of controversy in the uh, history of the church about when this will happen relative to the tribulation, right? Does it happen before the seven-year tribulation, at the middle of the seven-year tribulation, or at the end of the seven-year tribulation, simultaneous with Jesus' second coming to win the battle of Armageddon and set up his millennial kingdom, okay? That's where the controversy is. But there is no historic Christian controversy that it will happen. This incredible picture that Paul has given us now in 1 Corinthians and in uh, chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, many other places as well. And Jesus here just having this amazing picture of one is here and one is there and one is gone. Just an amazing picture. Um, so let me uh, show where we are before we go into application. Right? Remember this is Adam to the cross in, in, uh, in the physical realm. All right? 
And during all that time, people went to Sheol. The believers went to Abraham's bosom. And the non-believers, those who rebelled, and when Jesus came down and preached his gospel, refused, they stay and, and remain in Hades until two or three weeks from now when I teach on that, okay? And notice, during the church age, everyone's spirit who knows Christ immediately goes to be with Christ in heaven when they die. Bodies into the ground, spirits to paradise in Christ, with Christ where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And now we're using the pre-trib rapture as the, the point of teaching. And so notice what happens. There's a resurrection, right? Two kinds of resurrection occur at the time when Jesus comes for his church. One, the dead in Christ, their bodies, Jesus pulls the molecules back together, gives them a new eternal resurrection body that will be perfect and flawless. And those who are living, as Paul said, we who remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from the, so in essence, while still breathing, you're resurrected, right? Because when we compare this baby to what we're going to get, it will feel like this was truly dead. So that's where we are now on the grid, and I want to do some application uh, as, we, as we end this evening. Uh, application number one. Uh, by the way, I just occurred to me, Dana reminded me to uh, tell you, I teach out of the New American Standard just because it doesn't read the best, but it actually is closest in, in mostly modern American English to the actual text uh, itself, the, the Hebrew and the, and the Greek text. Um, that's why I do that. So if, if you're confused or if you want to be uh, if you want to study these times uh, and, and hear the same uh, language, it's New American Standard. Uh, so, application number one. I hope you have your Bibles even for this because we have a lot to cover. Never forget, there's a universal tendency to get sleepy and forget that Christ's return is always imminent. Listen, never forget, there's a universal tendency to get sleepy and to forget that Christ's return is always imminent, right? Let's begin this application by clearly stating what hundreds of millions of Christians have believed throughout all the centuries. It's a great historic doctrine of the church. Here's your blank, write it in. Jesus will return and it could be at any moment. Listen, whatever your eschatology is, if it gets, something gets in the way of Jesus being able to come back now. Remember what Paul said? Paul was saying, we who remain are going to be caught up with the Lord. Do you realize Paul was absolutely convinced that Jesus was going to return for his church before Paul died? So imminency has always been at the core of the historic understanding of the church. So you're in Matthew 24, just turn to Matthew 25, and we'll go back to 24 in just a minute. But... Uh, I want us to look at this incredible story uh, that, that many of you will be familiar with. Look at uh, verse 1 from Matthew 25. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, notice that, delaying, they all were in the delay. They, were all, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready... If you're an underliner, underline that in your text or highlight it in your e-Bible. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Notice again, underline that. And later the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be, verse 13, be on the alert then for you do not know the day nor the hour. Look at the point of the story, right? Christ is the bridegroom. The wedding feast is Christ's return. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. So those who have the oil have trusted Christ for their salvation and are believers, and those without the oil are lost, right? That's the picture in the parable. And in this passage, the words give us a striking warning. Look with me at verse 5 again before I give you your blank. Look at this. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Think about this. All 10 of the virgins fell asleep. You ready for this? This is a huge surprise, right? And it's a striking warning. Here's the warning. Look at your blanks. Jesus' return will catch everyone by surprise. Notice an incredibly surprising aspect of this. All ten, even the five who know Christ, are asleep when Jesus comes. Amazing. Even those with the Holy Spirit are sleeping, and this leads to a most amazing implication. Here's your blank. When Christ returned, this is so embarrassing, right? When Christ returns, even the church will be asleep. I want you to hard stop. Let that sink in right now. Do you believe Jesus could return before this lesson is over? Do you believe that tomorrow Jesus might have returned to his church for his church tonight? Even the church is going to be asleep. And I just look at my own life and I confess, how many days do I live thinking, Lord, Father, is this the day you're sending your son for your church? Is this the day? Is this the day? How much differently I live if I really believe today could be the day. And this leads to application number two. Here's your blank. Uh, There's three blanks, so I'll read it twice. If I really don't expect the Lord to come back now, (laughs) the very fact that I'm sleepy should put me on alert. Let me say that again. If I really don't expect the Lord to come back now, the very fact that I'm sleepy should put me on alert. Turn back with me to chapter 24 of Matthew. We're staying right in the Olivet Discourse here now. And look at verse 40 with me. Look at verse 40. I think I might have given you a a broader uh, grouping, um, but we already read the days of Noah stuff. The surprise, the flood's real. Uh, But look at verse 40 with me just for time. Um, Then there shall be two men in the field. One shall be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert. You do not know which day your Lord is coming. And now let's continue. Look, 
But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert instead of asleep, right? He would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44, listen to this. For this reason, you be ready to. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Look at an astounding truth that flows from this kingpin passage. Notice the two women at work, right? Just like another day. They went to work at the mill. And the two men, they're just going about their business, a regular old day working in the field. And the thief in the night comes on a completely nondescript night, right? When the whole family is all asleep, in fact, that's what Jesus is saying is if he'd have really thought that the thief was coming, the thief in the night, he'd have been ready. He would have been alert. The point is, this is just happening on a regular old day. There's no hint that Jesus is right at the door. They don't see it coming, and there's not the slightest indication, not the slightest clue that, listen church, there's not the slightest hint that this day is the day. Every single day, we are supposed to believe that this day could be the day. So he comes, Jesus comes in the twinkling of an eye. So pay attention. He comes at a moment when no one expects him to come. Let that sink in. Do you not expect Jesus to come now? Then it's the perfect time for Jesus to come. It's exactly the kind of time that Jesus is going to come for his church. Now, many believers have been mistaught about what has to happen before Jesus can come back, right? That's why some are waiting to see global earthquakes or the appearance of Antichrist. They're waiting for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. They're waiting for World War III to start getting ready, right? They're waiting for all of these things. But, but, but if you've been incorrectly taught, wake up. If you're waiting for the signs of the times that you've read in some book, or if you're thinking that Christ can't return because there hasn't been a peace treaty yet between Israel and this new emerging world leader, or if it hasn't gotten bad enough because after all, we haven't seen the tribulation or whatever, then think again. Listen, nothing has to happen before Jesus comes back. That's why the historic doctrine of the church has always been that Jesus could return at any time. In fact, he promises he's going to return when, he don't, when we don't think he'll return. The church isn't waiting for the signs of the times. The church isn't waiting for a peace treaty. The church isn't waiting for a temple to be rebuilt. Friends, the church has always been waiting for one thing, for Jesus, our beautiful bridegroom, to split the eastern sky and to come back and get his church. So here's the gigantic announcement from the text that rings out through the ages. It's Christ's final warning. If you've heard me teach any time in the past or preach, you may have heard me say this, but write it in. Here's Christ's final warning. When he returns, it won't be time to get ready it will be time to be ready. It just occurred to me that I may have missed uh, some blanks. I did. You're going to be so proud of me. Go back to your math uh, application number one. Um, your your um, 
no, I'm sorry, I, I must have gotten it. So in any case, what's amazing is the, the, the door is closed. It's amazing. When the bridegroom comes, the door is closed. So think about this. This dramatic warning is given, given to try to prevent people from falling into complacency in our lives. We all tend to fall asleep at the wheel. We all tend to think that there will always be time to get ready. We all tend to think maybe there'll be time to go get the Holy Spirit when the bridegroom comes. But notice our tendency is to be just the kind of people who live the kind of life that just kind of puts off making big commitments, right? And in the meantime, we use the delays to live our life our way. The general idea in many in the church is that all of us have about 80 or 90 years to, to live, to do what we want, and then in the end, we'll make sure that when we're really old and getting sick and ready to die, right, we'll make sure that we're really right with God. We'll make sure we're ready then, and we'll comfortably slip into eternal life and go to heaven. This is why Jesus wanted to wake us up, to make sure that we didn't miss his warning we didn't miss his interest in getting everyone's attention. He made it piercingly clear that on the day of his return, it's too late to get ready. And this leads to a key concept. Write it in. Here's the key concept. Only the fool believes there will always be another chance to respond. Only the fool believes there will always be another chance to respond. There is a day coming that will be the final trumpet. The decisions will be made. That is as clear as can be from Jesus' own teaching. So as we close, listen again to some of this evening's texts. From Matthew 25, listen. And while they were going away to purchase the oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Verse uh, 44 from, verse, uh, from chapter 24, listen. For this reason, you also must be ready. Notice, you must be ready. Remember the key concept? Only the fool believes that there will always be another chance to respond. It won't be time to get ready when he comes. It will time, be time to be ready. Verse 42 in chapter 24, look at this. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And I love his statement, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So with these powerful warnings fresh in our minds, we end with some simple questions. If you're totally honest with yourself, are you ready for Jesus to come back right now? Have you honestly dealt with your desire to run your own life? And have you taken that desire and surrendered it to the coming King completely? Everything belongs to the King. No holding off, no holding back, no waiting for some day when, oh, wow, I'm, I, I've got cancer, so I better get straight with God. No, Jesus could come back before I say amen in the final prayer tonight. 
The question is, have you placed everything in your life at Jesus' feet? That's what it means to be ready. Does Jesus have all of you? Every decision, every plan, and every corner of your heart? Are there any rooms that he needs to get into and clean out? Let me boil tonight down to a single question. Right now, are you ready? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, the depth of your scripture in these amazing passages tonight convict us. Uh, They convict me, Lord. How many days do I live presuming upon your grace, not acting as if I really believe this could be it, this could be the day? How am I impacting others' lives? How am I treating other people? Am I taking the gospel to those that I know and that I work with, the people in my family? Lord, am I talking about you enough? (laughs) Lord, um, forgive me for not living as if you could come back every day. Again, Paul's testimony, it convicts me when he was saying, and those of us who are alive and remain at his coming... Paul really believed you were coming back any day. So Lord, I pray that your church today will live like that. That those who join us tonight and join us in the future uh, as they listen to this in the future, Lord, that we will be a people who are ready. That we will be a people who are really ready. And Lord, we know that doesn't just mean, oh, I'm going to try harder to be like Jesus. I'm going to try harder to be righteous. For Lord, we know that if that's our hope for becoming righteous, we will lose every time. Lord, confront us with the reality that as much as we have tried to be holy, unless you do a miracle by the cleansing of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives, we'll never be like you. But we thank you for that incredible promise, Lord, that you can come in and you can make us a new creation. And the new creation can live like Jesus. And then, on that coming day, when the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are remain will see you coming in the clouds with that great cloud of witnesses, Lord, we will say, Lord, I'm ready. Thank you. Your grace saves me, purifies me, and makes me ready. We love you, O God. Thank you for the power of your word. Change us. Be with us. Amen.